Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hey, everybody. This is Stefan Gonick from findingthelovewant.com. Welcome to the August uh, Finding Love live laser Q&A call. So in this call, I'm going to be answering questions both from people who are with me on the call live right now, as well as questions that people have sent to me uh, via email. So um, for those people who are on the call live, the way it works is if you would like to, you know, to talk, to either ask a question or to respond to what somebody else said, uh, press Star eight, and that'll let me know that you want to talk, and then I'll click on your name, and and then you'll hear a little voice that says you are you are now unmuted. And as soon as you hear that little voice that says you're unmuted, just go ahead and start talking. Um, and there's people who are that's those are for, that's for the people who are uh, on the call live with me by phone, and then there's also people who are on the call uh, online, and those people won't be able to talk on the phone, but they can communicate with me via chat messages. So at any point, you just go ahead and type in your message, and I'll see it, and I'll read it out loud and, and respond to it that way rather than typing a message back. That way everybody can, can hear. Um, one little weird thing about the chat system is that the chat box uh, has room for about four lines of text. It then scrolls if you keep typing more text, but it gets cut off for me. So you don't want to actually keep typing until it scrolls. So when you get when you've typed a certain amount and you've filled up the little box, you know, hit the little submit arrow there, and then just type some more if you have more that you need to say. So it's sort of a series of chunks of chat messages. Um, I don't know why they haven't fixed that bug yet, but that's the way it is. So anyway, like I say, if you want to communicate with me if you're online, just go ahead and type your chat messages. So I'm going to do is uh, sort of go back and forth between uh, the people on the call live. Email questions to me, and this time I have quite a few email questions. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and start with the first email question. Okay, so this is a question about anger, and it goes like this. Uh, let's see. I, I so this is a person. Give a little background. This is a person who is feeling a lot of anger towards her father. And she wrote that even after many tapping sessions, releasing tears and much anger, I still feel much of it afterward, anger, anger towards my father. It didn't really go down on the scale, but instead it, it seemed in some ways that wording, expressing that anger towards him, amplified a lot by making me realize how so cruel and so very abusive he had been. And I couldn't, get low, couldn't let go of the anger I felt. But two or three weeks later, without tapping for it, that anger has surely much lessened. I got back to one memory, and the emotions aren't there so much. No crying or angry feelings. 
But is there a reliable way of knowing that the anger is really out of the system? The thing I feel, though, when thinking about my father, well, okay, so that's the end of that question, and there's sort of a second part to it. So I'll just start with that. So anger is a really interesting thing. Uh, one of the reasons why I suggest expressing the anger to the person in the memory directly is that lots of times, see, most EFT practitioners will just tell you to kind of feel the anger towards the parent, your, you know, in this case your father, and tap on it. You know, even though I'm so angry at my dad for what he did, and all this anger at my dad, angry at my dad, angry at my dad. So that's typically the way that people do it. But people, I find, uh, have a hard time really getting into their anger. It's, it's, I mean, some people have a very easy time, but a lot of people have a very hard time. It's, it's uncomfortable for them. It's, uh, it's uh, hard to be that strong and that assertive, which is also one of the reasons why it's so important to do it, to sort of break out of that feeling of powerlessness. Uh, but there's all this resistance to really getting feeling the anger. And so if you do it in that sort of indirect way of, even though I'm angry at my father, all this anger at my father, things like that, typically you're not really fully feeling the anger. So what I... Well, that's why I recommend to people in the program and, on what with, and with one-on-one clients that they express the anger directly to the parent. And what they discover is actually what you discovered, which is that as they express it, they actually feel it more strongly. And that's because in the beginning, when you first just thought about the memory, you know, you're, you're only like half feeling it. So as you express it, you get more and more in touch with it. So that's actually a good thing. That's not a bad thing. <clears throat> if, if the anger is hasn't gone down much by the end of the session, uh, a couple things are possible. This is a little complicated. The simplest option is that you just, do, just didn't do it long enough, that the initial tapping and expressing the anger just helped you get more and more in touch with it, but you didn't do it long enough to fully release it. <clears throat> so the first thing you try in that case is to go ahead and just keep expressing the anger longer and express it more as you keep tapping. You know, if you're listening to one of the recordings and the recording has already moved on to something else, just pause the recording there and just stay with it. And just keep expressing the anger, keep expressing it, and after a while it should start coming down. So now, let's get into the more complicated case. So assuming it's a simple case, as you keep expressing it, it will eventually start coming down, in which case you know you're on the right track and you just keep doing it until it's gone. Okay, so that's, that's fine. If, however, you know, goes up or starts high and stays high and never seems to go down at all, which is not exactly what happened to you. You said it went down a couple of weeks later. Uh, well, actually, let me, let me address that because that's still part of the simpler case. And I'll come back to the complex case. So you, what you did is you did, it sounds like you did a fair amount of anger expression in the session, not enough to bring it down in that moment, um, but you still got it. It sounds like you really got into it for a while. Sometimes what happens is as time goes by, the processing kind of continues in the background. That can happen. So sometimes, you know, you can do it up to a certain point, you're not done, and yet a few days later, if you go back to the memory, you discover that the anger is gone. So that can happen, and that may be what happened for you. I don't know for sure. You also may have just lost touch with your feelings that memory. It's, hard. it's a little hard to tell. But let me get into... But that certainly can happen. But let me get into uh, a couple more complicated cases. 
So one of the complicated cases, and I wrote an article about this on my EFTalive.com website on the articles page. You can go there. I call it the, the Dilemma of Letting Go of Anger. Is the name of the article. So here's, for those people who get in touch with their anger towards somebody, a parent or whoever, and they might, let's say they really get into the anger and they express it a lot and they're very, you know, they, they're not holding back and they're really fully into it and they keep expressing and tapping and tapping and all that stuff and it never seems to budge. They stay angry and let's say, you know, two or three weeks later they're still angry, unlike the person who sent in this call, uh, this question. What could be going on in that case is it's something a little subtle, but once you identify it, it's easy to address. And that is, some people are very reluctant to let go of their anger towards somebody, no matter how much they express it, because subconsciously it feels like their anger is what keeps that person accountable for the bad thing they did. And there's this kind of belief inside that if I let go of my anger, then it's letting the, the person off the hook. So it's a sort of like this sort of cosmic justice kind of thing. That it's my anger, that the existence of my anger, staying angry is what's keeping that person accountable for having wronged me, having hurt me in that way. And, you know, if I let go of the anger, then it'll be as if what they did didn't matter. It was no big deal, that kind of thing. Um, I had a whole series of clients who, who had all the, exactly the same feeling, which is what really originally inspired me to write that article. And the way you handle that is you tap on that false belief. So you say, even though it's only my anger that's keeping my father accountable, the bad or horrible thing that he did, the abusive thing he did. I deeply and profoundly love and accept myself three times. And then you just tap on that belief until you can let it go. You know, I have to stay angry to keep him accountable. I have to stay angry uh, to prove that he wronged me, that he hurt me. You do that for a while until you feel it loosening up, and then eventually you can start tapping on letting it go, which is, you know, I choose to let God or the universe hold him accountable. Now, there's a part of him that knows what he did was wrong, even if he won't admit it. And it's, it's, you know, it's, you know, you can think of it in terms of karma, you know, it's, it's eating away at him or whatever. But it's kind of like I let go of the job of keeping him accountable. It's his own conscience, it's God, it's the universe, or whatever, that will keep him accountable. So I don't have to hold that any longer. And once you do that, you'll find usually the anger just melts away. So. That's a common but subtle reason why sometimes it can be really hard to let go of anger towards somebody. Like I say, the anger subconsciously feels like it keeps them accountable. Um, there is... Actually, I don't want to get too complicated. So I'm going to leave it there. That's a, that's a really common one that most people are not aware of. So I mentioned here. Okay, so now here's a, the second part to that question. It says, is there a reliable way of knowing that the anger is really out of my system? The thing I feel, okay, so first of all, to answer that question, is there a reliable way of knowing when anger is really out of my system? Um, if, the, if the emotion is really done, so it's, actually this answer applies to anger out of your system, sadness out of your system, fear out of your system, anything. What you want to do is you replay the memory and you try and make it as, as extra intense. So this is like just testing your results, essentially. We, te we teach this in, in the EFT training. 
what you do is you replay the memory and you try and get upset about it. See, if you've totally cleared out your emotions for a memory, um, you know, all of them, no matter what you do replaying that memory, there's nothing you can do to make yourself upset anymore because they're just, the feelings are just done. They're gone. Um, so what you would do is, you know, replay that worst part of the memory and, like, push on it. Make it, in your imagination, make it even bigger or louder or closer, things like that. Like, try and intensify it in some way. And like I say, you just try and get upset about it. Try and make yourself upset. Um, if you fully clear it out, then nothing will happen. You'll, you won't feel anything. If you haven't gotten it all, and there's still some anger or, or any other emotion in your system, then when you do that, it'll come up. So that's one of the ways you test. Um, so I don't know, you know, said, you said two to three weeks, weeks later, there's no feelings for that memory. So I would encourage you to test the memory in that way. Uh, so the other thing, part of this follow-up to this question was, the thing I feel, though, when thinking about my father is unease and a slight fear of meeting him for not knowing uh, how he would be. Would he be crying when he sees me? Uh, he's done that in the past recent years, and I hate it when he does this. Or would he be in one of his depressed moods, complaining about his miserable state, his this, his that? Whatever the case, I feel very uneasy as I'm not sure how I'd react to what comes up from him and so much would love to feel at ease with whatever happens. I guess I should tap on those feelings. Uh, yes. <laughs> Tapping on those feelings would be very good. So one of the issues is, yeah, if you're feeling anxious or uncomfortable with certain behaviors, like when he's crying, notice what your reaction is specifically, like exactly how are you reacting to him crying, and tap on that. Um, or any of the other things he's doing. So you would tap on those feelings, like you suggested yourself. But the other thing to remember that a lot of people struggle with, with family members, particularly parents, is that it's okay to have boundaries. Like if he cries for a while about something, or he's going on about this or that, you know, complaining about this or that, and you don't like it, it really is okay to say, you know, I really let's talk about something else. You know, I mean, you could say something generally sympathetic, but still have a boundary. Like, oh, you know, if he's complaining about this and that, he says, oh, I'm sorry, Dad, your life's so hard, but I'm really uncomfortable, um, you know, talking about this, and let's talk about something else. And you go ahead and start a new topic yourself. Don't leave it just hanging. You need to be the one to start the new topic. Um, and if he's crying, you know, you can kind of be there for a little bit. Um, but, and if you're, if it makes, if, you know, if you're uncomfortable with it, it's okay to have a boundary again. You might say, you know, if he's crying, you say, you know, I'm sorry, you're feeling really bad. Um, and, you know, I need to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back a little later when you're feeling better and we can talk some more. Or you can just invite him to go for a walk or something to change. Lots of times if you change location, people's feelings change. You say, let's go outside and walk. He may not be that comfortable crying in public, so that could be a good way of handling it. But lots of times with family members, we feel like we have to just kind of be with them with, with no matter what they're doing, no matter how long they're doing it. And we don't have any rights to our own needs in a situation. And you do have uh, the right to your own needs. So that's really important uh, to, to understand that you, it is okay to take care of yourself when you're around family members. It's one of our biggest tests in relationships. If you can, if you can get to the point where you're, you get good at taking care of yourself visiting your family, you're going to be great with your romantic partner. I like to say that people's family is their Ph.D. thesis 
gardener is their um, their master. So um, anyway, so that answers that question. Uh, I just want to mention to the new people who are on the call, especially on the phone, that if you'd like to talk, uh, just press star eight, and I'll see you want to talk, and then I'll unmute you. Um, and if you're online, just go ahead and type chat messages. All right, so I finished answering the first email question. So if any of the people who are on the phone would like to ask their question, just press star eight. Well, all right, so I'll go back to the next email question. Um, so this next email question is a short one, but a significant one. How do we care for, for our inner child on a day-to-day -day basis, at work, et cetera? Um, that's a great question. And in a way, that is, your question is actually, how do I, how am I self-caring for the rest of my life, really? Right? Because who is our inner child? Our inner child is is the part of us who is in touch with all of our needs. Part of us is also in, in touch with all of our life, all of our juiciness. Right? So there, our inner child is simultaneously the part of us that was hurt and has needs that you know part of this program is is listening to our inner child's needs and addressing them. And our inner, inner child also has all of our life force energy, all of our juiciness. So as we become more friendly with our inner child, we start feeling more and more alive, right? So our playfulness, our exuberance, our enthusiasm, our joy, our love, things like that also is part of our inner child. So how do we take care of our inner child? Well, what we want to do is listen to that inner voice, you know, on a daily basis, uh, you know, the, our ultimate goal in our life is to ba basically to tune in to our own needs and feelings all the time. I mean, yes, there's some context, like you might be, you know, in the middle of a, of, well, even in the middle of a meeting. I was going to say in the middle of a meeting, you might not be able to, but even there, um, there's times when you want to be tuned in to how you're feeling and, and you might need to, you know, act on certain things that you might be feeling. Like if you're feeling like nobody's listening to you and it's hard to get a word in edgewise, you might, you have to tune into that and maybe take action on it. But the idea is that we want to get good at tuning into ourselves on a daily basis. So if we're needing something, uh, we respond to that. We don't ignore it. See, most of us kind of become disconnected from ourselves so that we stop really noticing and in particular honoring the feelings and needs that we're having. When that happens, our inner child shuts down. And not only are we not taking care of our inner child, and therefore taking care of ourselves, really, when our inner child shuts down, our life force energy also gets very muted. And so a lot of people feel like they're just sort of coasting through life on autopilot, and there's sort of a kind of only a half-alive state. So as you do this work in the program, uh, hopefully, even after the six or seven weeks are over, you're going to continue to tune into yourself, to tune into your inner child, find out what she or he is needing or wanting, check in every day, and you know you could just stop and in a quiet moment uh, tune in and say how are you doing, 
any part of me that's needing or wanting anything right now, you know, kind of raise your hand and let me know. But as after a while, we get better and better at it, and it becomes sort of a continual awareness. That's sort of the ultimate, is where you're sort of in a state of continual awareness of your inner feelings and needs. And when you do that and you honor them, you'll be taking great care of yourself, and you'll be completely have reawakened you know, your aliveness. Wonderful thing. Okay, so that's the answer to that question. So again, if you're on live on the call, star 8 to talk if you're on the phone, or go ahead and type in your chat messages. Okay. So moving on to the next email question. Okay. What I've noticed through the past week is I've been far more touchy, susceptible over tiny incidents with a couple of people that I'd call friends, and I feel somehow unsure how to deal with it. The result of one incident was that I felt ignored, that I didn't count, and very lonely afterwards. Now, before, I would have probably been very pissed off with that person, swallowed my hurt, and carried on with whatever I wanted to do. So that would be the old way of reacting. So last week, I guess my inner child came up strongly on the surface with old demons. And so I tried to reassure her, telling her that people can sometimes be quite insensitive, and that they have their own loads, and that I, didn't, I can't expect them to be perfect or as I want them to be. One thing I didn't want to experience was feeling resentful towards that person next time I see her. I tapped on that, and it was fine. Is it really is is it really what I should have done? And is it quite normal that I feel more sensitive at this time? So uh, how normal it is depends a bit on how far you are into the program. If it's the first half of the program, I would say it's very normal, because what's happening is you are, you know, we, we, we all try and suppress our feelings and our issues, you know, so we can live our lives as, you know, as, best we can. And as and when you first start working on this stuff, you become much more sensitive to it. So um, when you say you know, you're more touchy, it's like, yeah, that, that makes total sense. That's really normal that you become more sensitive because these issues are much more up in the air for you, right? You're much more in touch with them. You're, you're actively working on them. And it's also obvious from your response that even though you still felt these old feelings that you didn't count, which I'm sure came, you know, they felt ignored and that you didn't count, which I'm sure came from childhood. I'm guessing you felt that way with at least one of your parents. Um, in the past, you, you know, you said you would have been very pissed off and swallowed your hurt and um, probably distanced yourself from that person, all, all sorts of stuff. This time, you responded in a new way. So that alone is a sign that you've been making progress. So you reassured your inner child that uh, that first of all you cared about her, right, and just helped her understand that sometimes people can be insensitive and that they have their own stuff going on and they can't be perfect all the time and things like that. So that was helpful uh, in two ways. One, you were showing caring to her, so she wasn't feeling so alone. Right? You were sort of being this nurturing, caring parent to her. So that alone was great. And tapping on the feelings, of course, is really helpful. As you progress through the issue and heal the issue more fully, what you'll discover is that you're not creating that situation so much anymore. So if you felt ignored, lots of times that can happen because you didn't put yourself out there strongly enough to begin with. right? Remember how I talked about how we kind of 
recreate our childhood experience with our partner. You know, we act in a way, due to our, our super sensitivity and overreactivity to, to things, we, we act in ways that actually cause our partner to behave more like <clears throat> our parent. Well, we do that with everybody, not just our romantic partner. <clears throat> so there's ways that we behave that cause, you know, our friends and and even people we don't even know uh, to, you know, be to treat us in ways that feels like when we were a child. So I'll give you an example. I, I had a client many years ago uh, in my therapy group that I ran who was talking about how she believed that nobody cared about her needs and, and would want to respond to her needs. And so she often didn't even ask for them. So we worked on it in the therapy group and, you know, we're kind of trying to help her, you know, express her needs. And it's still early on. And the time came where she had a need with me and she expressed her need to me in a way uh, that was actually very abrasive and even offensive. Um, if I had not been her coach and just some person somewhere, you know, she's coming to me and making this request, uh, I would have very likely said no because of the way she asked me. Not because I didn't care about her needs, not because I, didn't, I wouldn't want to help her, but just that the way she asked was so off-putting. Uh, but because I was a coach, you know, I was able to give her that feedback and, you know, and we practiced it and tried again until she asked her in a way that was much easier to hear. So we all do this kind of thing without realizing it. It's part of the human condition. So if you're feeling ignored by your friend, it could be that your friend had stuff on her mind. It could be, you know, all those other things you said. Sometimes people are insensitive. But it could have also been actually how you put it out yourself. Um, that it didn't come through in a way that conveyed how important it was to you. Um, we, it's, sort of a, so it's sort of a self-sabotage kind of thing. Now, I don't know for sure if that's what happened, but it's such a common thing that I wanted to bring it up to you as a possibility that um, that, that may have been what was going on as well. But like I said, just the fact that you, you comforted your inner child is a huge improvement. As you work through this stuff and heal it more, more completely, you will naturally behave differently. Uh, you won't be so reactive anymore and all that kind of stuff. So in a way, this whole issue will ultimately go away. In fact, that's how you'll know that you've, you've healed it. It doesn't seem to be happening anymore. <laughs> you, know, you, don't, you don't walk around feeling ignored or un, like you don't count anymore. So that'll be a sign. It's very helpful, by the way, for everybody to track the progress on, on the issues that they've identified by rating them with numbers, 0 to 10, and just periodically checking back in. These people tend to kind of look at it as an all-or-nothing thing. I either have the issue or I don't. Um, when in reality, it tends to you know, improve gradually and get better and better, and that's much easier to track that if we use numbers. So you know, if you have this belief that you don't count, uh, I would rate that on a scale of 0 to 10, and then each week, check on how that true that feels or how intense it feels for you, um, you know, each week to see the progress you're making. So if it starts out at a 9, and then you know, a week later it's a 7, a week later it's a 5, and a week later it's a 3, then that's very encouraging. Whereas if it starts at a 9 and you just check this and you see it's still there, and you're not really noticing that it's different, that's 
not as encouraging. But like I say, I, I encourage everybody to, to rate everything that they're working on. All right, so that's the end of uh, that email question. Oh, actually, wait a minute, let's see. Yeah. Okay, so people live on the phone, star 8 to raise their hand to talk or type a chat message. Okay, so I just want to let you guys know that are live on the call. I mean, it's okay if you don't want to talk and just want to listen, um, but we're halfway through the call. Uh, I've got enough email questions to fill the call, and you know the people that are on live, I'd like to make sure you guys have the opportunity to talk, so don't wait too long to raise your hand. All right, so next question. Uh, okay, oh, okay, another, another thing about anger. Uh, the anger stuff is pretty helpful, although I can't scream as I wish to. I'll try the use that method of putting a pillow on my face. Right. For those of you who don't remember, if you're at a, like an apartment building, you can't like yell really loud. What you want to do is get a, a really dense pillow, and you push it hard against your mouth, not over your whole face, but against your mouth, and you scream into the pillow. And that you can do as, you know, as loud as you want um, without worrying about the noise affecting other people. Um, Okay, so I have to start the sentence over again. Yeah, a little sidetrack there. Okay, so the anger stuff is pretty helpful. Um, <coughs> uh, the grammar's a little tricky here. Well, it's suddenly, it, I suddenly authorize, uh, well, I'll read the way it was written. It suddenly authorized oneself to, quote, download all the unfairness, the injustice done without feeling guilty about it. Oh, it suddenly authorizes oneself. Okay, got it without feeling guilty about it. That's pretty comforting. But, and there is a but, I'm kind of staying with the anger towards my father. If I, as I am now, picture him with my mind's eye, or if I was in front of him, I'd still feel terribly angry with him. I've over the last 30 years tried to work on that. I had long episodes where my, understand, where my understanding and I guess compassion towards him worked well as long as I was away from him. But when I got face-to-face -face with him on later occasions, I suddenly became the six-year-old again, when I was perhaps 45 years old. Paralyzed, frightened, and highly frustrated because I, didn't, I couldn't say what I had in my heart. If I did, I would have probably been disowned or rejected forever, as this was and is an, an impossibility for him to hear. One of my brothers never saw him again for having attempted that kind of conversation before. So yes, I'm pre presently stuck with this anger and fear towards him. I can reassure my inner child that it's okay, I'm here for her, but what do I do with my anger towards him? It may come later on in the teleclass to managing anger towards one parent. Okay, so I already kind of answered that question. Though in your case, I'm going to add a bit to it. So one possibility is, you know, if there's a big backlog of anger, it can take a while to get through it all, first of all. Remember I said in the earlier, answering the earlier question that if you have you know, if you're still feeling the anger strongly, you may just not have tapped long enough. Um, if there's been a lot of injustices, there may be a pretty big backlog of anger. It may take a while to get through all of it. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I talked about that thing about how your anger keeps a person accountable. So for this person asking this question, uh, you know, try and check into that and see if that feels true for you. So just to find out if that's a factor for you, all you have to do is just ask yourself that question. 
Does it feel like my anger is keeping him accountable, and if I let go of the anger, then it's like letting him off the hook? Just ask yourself that question and see how it feels inside. If the answer is yes, then you know you have to deal with that. Now, in your case, um, it's, it is a little tricky. Now, you're, you know that if you were to, first of all, you don't necessarily ever have to express your true feelings to your parent in all this anger work that we do therapeutically, you know, this healing way. Um, I'm not one of these people who suggests that you should, you know, go confront the parent and all that kind of stuff. You know, unless you feel, unless it feels super important to you for your own healing to confront your parent and speak your truth to the parent, regardless of the consequences. Um, you know, if, if you feel that way, then then maybe it is important to do it for you. But otherwise, I tend to, you know, I I believe that you do the healing separate from your parent until you've gotten it all out. Um, and then, if you want to say something to your parent, you might, you know, you may be able to say it relatively calmly. But one of the things I would tap on for you specifically is this reality that you don't have the option of expressing your true feelings to him. That if you try and express your true feelings to him, he will disown you and cut off the relationship. And you can express your your anger and hurt and fear around that. And if you do that sufficiently, fully, you'll come to a place of acceptance that um, that's who he is. And you'll you know you'll let go of all the feelings around that, and you'll come to a place of peace. And then you can see him and have peace, just knowing the limited human being that he is. You know, he has his his own his own issues. That's the reality of the situation. But you can't you can't skip over your feelings to get there. If you just use your mind to say that, then you're suppressing the feelings to get there, and that doesn't work. So what you do is you you know you, you tap on the unfairness of the fact that he'll you know basically reject you if you try and express your truth to him. And so there's a whole set of feelings there to tap on. That's what I would do. Okay, so that's the end of that question. Um, so for live people, star eight, if you'd like to ask your question directly on the phone or type in chat message. And by the way, if you want to talk at any point, you can do star eight. Even if I'm in the middle of talking, go ahead and press star eight. And it won't distract me, and I'll just call on you at, at a good stopping point. So you don't have to wait until I specifically say, you know, go ahead and press star eight to talk. Uh, but nobody's talking yet, so, or star eighting. Okay, here's the next question. Do we carry the negative traits of our parents? Oh, actually, got uh, a chat message here. Uh, unfortunately, got cut off. I'll read how much is there so you'll know where you need to finish. Uh, it says, I had a massive fight and split with a female friend who was like my dominating mo mother. And then it says, I can, and oh, and then that's, it got cut off there. Go ahead and... Uh, So, okay, so there's a little, the sentence, so just the rest of it here, it says, I can know, and know, or the control. Oh, I can't stand her control. Would this be a sign of progress? I really want to get rid of her. Yes. Uh, so, basically what's going on is uh, this person 
had uh, a massive fight and split with a female friend who was like her dominating mother. So here, and she, you know, so she ended up the end of their relationship, and she wants to know if that's a sign of progress. So the answer actually is yes. The our issues that impact uh, our choices in romantic partners. Oh, and then there's follow-up. says that I can't stand her control, and is she interfering with my romantic romantic relationship? She takes up all my time. Okay, so yeah. So here's the thing. Just like our unhealed issues with our parents and the negative traits of our, of our, uh, the negative traits of our parents cause us to be subconsciously attracted to romantic partners with those negative traits, it also contact, uh, con- uh, causes us to be subconsciously attracted to platonic friends with those negative traits as well. Okay, some of them. Our platonic friends tend to be a mixture. Some of them will have the negative traits of our parents and some won't. Um, as, you, as we heal and as we are no longer willing to tolerate that negative trait, it is very true that we will tend to separate from those friends that have those negative traits. I'll give you a you know, personal example. Uh, my big pattern was being attracted to women with the victim mentality. Right? So for you know, a long time, all my girlfriends had a victim mentality, where they felt like this sort of powerless victim that the world did things to them and blamed every, everything, everybody and everything else for anything that happened for them, including me. Right? So it was, it, was a, it was a painful kind of person to be in a relationship with because they were constantly blaming me for everything. Well, as I was working through that and no longer being attracted to those kind of women, um, I had a couple of female friends who were like that as well. And I noticed myself just drifting away from them. They just were less appealing as a friend. Like I, I just felt less tolerant of their victim energy. And they were, you know, given, they were always, like I remember I had this one friend who's like, every time we got together, there's all these stories of how she's wronged by this person and that person, this other person is terrible, and this other person, you know. Like they, I wasn't being blamed yet because I was being still the knight in shining armor phase of the rescuer victim pattern that I had. <clears throat> so the stuff wasn't being directed at me yet, but she was directing to everybody else. And I got tired of it. And I just started drifting away from her. And, and as I started pulling away from her, she started directing it at me. And that was a healthy sign, actually, <clears throat> that you know I was no longer willing to tolerate that kind of energy. Um, okay, so this person added to the chat message, she is an alcoholic and drug addict. I'm an Al-Anon because of her. I'd love so much to be rid of her. So as you get, so you said you had a big fight and you split up. I encourage you to stick with that. Don't get back together with her. Even if she turns it all around and she starts pleading how what a wonderful friend you are and how you've been friends for so long and, and maybe guilt trips you and stuff like that, I would encourage you to stick to your guns. Because it sounds like um, she's an unhealthy factor in your life. You said she, you know, you asked, you know, is she interfering with my romantic relationship? She takes up all my time and she's controlling and she's an addict and all those other things. And if you're an Al-Anon, that means you have a tendency to be um, this, in this sort of codependent relationship with these kinds of people. So as you get healthier, you're going to want to step away from those people. So you say, I would, I would love so much to be rid of her. That is within your power. It, in fact, is simply a choice that you make, and then you have to enforce the choice. You just let her know that you know it doesn't work for me to be friends anymore. You can just—I would just be a broken record. You know, if she calls you or sees you in person and she says all sorts of stuff, um, no matter what she says, 
I would just acknowledge what she said vaguely, go, I hear what you're saying, and it doesn't work for me to be friends anymore. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, and it doesn't work for me to be friends anymore. The, uh, the broken record approach is the best way to have a boundary with somebody so they don't get embroiled or hooked back in again. If you, if you respond more to what the person's saying, you can easily get hooked back in. So I, I always advocate the broken record approach where you simply acknowledge what they said in the, the vaguest possible way, where it's like, I hear what you're saying, and then you repeat your broken record message. Doesn't work to be friends. Doesn't work for me to be friends anymore. I'm sorry. And eventually, she'll give up. So uh, says, thank you so much. It gives me so much hope. You're very welcome. And I really hope you have a boundary because it, yes, it does affect interfere with romantic relationships. And your ability to have a boundary with her and to end that relationship and keep her away from you will also be a sign of your progress towards having a healthy relationship with a healthy guy or woman or whichever. <laughs> whatever it is you do, romantic partner. All right, good. Thanks so much for that live message. I very much like uh, responding to these live ones. So I'm going to do another email one, and uh, anybody else on the phone, press star 8 to let me know that you would like to talk, either to comment what somebody else said or my other, you know, answer some of my other questions, or to ask your own question. Okay. So this question, do we carry the negative traits of our parents? I fear a yes. I have quite a bit of anger within me. Yuck. Can I release it or would it get released if I release first my, my anger towards my father? Okay. So <laughs> there's nothing more horrifying than discovering we have the same negative trait that we hated in one of our parents. And yes, it is true that we can all do that, but... Uh, some people, they totally take on the same negative trait just because of the, the way they were treated causes the... See, let me start over. When, when a parent has a negative trait that's kind of intense, a person, a child, will tend to respond in one of two ways uh, that are sort of at the two extremes. They will either take on the same trait or they'll go in the opposite direction and, and they'll try and be sort of the opposite of that parent. Neither of which is really authentic when you think about it. Because even the opposite one is a reactive position. It's not, I'm going to just be me. It's I'm going to be opposite of him or her, right? And it's like this extreme opposite. And that doesn't work either. So some people grow up with an angry parent become really angry themselves. Other people grow up with an angry parent uh, just don't allow themselves to ever feel anger. Like, you know, anger is bad, so I will never be angry. I vow to never be like my angry father, so I will never be angry. But that's very limiting because anger is a legitimate emotion. We don't, we don't necessarily want to be a rageaholic like our father, but nor do we want to go to the other extreme of, of denying ourselves that emotion. Because then you don't have the ability to stand up for yourself, as a big example. So if you notice that you're angry a lot like your father, in this particular case, that actually doesn't necessarily mean that you are like him, that you have the same negative trait. It could be that you just have a whole bunch of unresolved anger from your childhood which also could have been his case. Who knows? But the way we do that is not by trying to suppress your anger, if you have anger, if you feel angry a lot, um, is the way you resolve anger is by fully expressing it in a healing context towards the person who's the source of it. The thing that keeps people chronically angry, like your dad probably, is what's called displaced anger. And what displaced anger is, is anger... It's like somebody does something that makes you angry by treating you unjustly, unfairly, 
but you're not in a position to address to express your anger to that person. So you're sitting on all this anger, and then you express it to other people instead. That's why it's called displaced anger. It's displaced onto other people. But the problem with that is that if your anger expressed to the wrong person doesn't release that anger, right? We resolve our anger by expressing to the person who deserves it. Now, you can do it you know, in a therapeutic context. You don't actually have to go back to your dad and yell and scream at him. You can just imagine him in front of you and yell and scream at your imaginary father. But that's how you release this, this sort of big backlog of anger that you walk around with. So you don't have to be an angry person. You want to just you want to keep you know expressing it at the person who caused it while tapping until it's done. And when you if you do that, and it may take a while because it could be a big backlog. Once you've done that, you'll notice that you walk around a much more mellow person, and you're not so angry anymore. And and it's, it's a wonderful wonderful difference. And yet you can be angry if you need to be. If somebody new does something unjust, and you get angry about it, like you, which is perfectly fine. Wow, it's really interesting. This call is a lot about anger. Um, okay, so again, star eight. We only have 15 minutes left in the call. So, and also the person who typed their chat message, you, you know, you, you can type again. You know, you're not limited to one question. All right. Well, next email question. Okay. <laughs> Another qu anger question. The question I have, uh, uh, have has to do with feeling much anger with one parent, my father, after having done the rounds of tapping, addressing the painful event, then anger towards the parent, and then the inner child sequence. After that, I so very much felt anger with my father with thoughts in mind like, how did he dare to abuse us in such a horrific way? And more thoughts along the line. And a week later, I still feel so very pissed off with him. So should I then concentrate the next few days on just tapping with this anger towards him so as to finally try and release it? Somehow it would make sense to do that, but I'd very much like your advice on that. Um, so the answer to that question is basically yes. and that, that's, that's what I've been saying this whole call. So yeah, keep tapping on it until you release it, but check in on that whole thing about my anger keeps him accountable. Um, Okay, so I got another chat question. Uh, oh, you for my you forgot my question on the law of attraction that it only works on things about. Oh, I just haven't gotten there yet. I'm, I'm going to get to that one. Okay, one more thing on the inner child. When one decides from now on to take care of our inner child, it can be very it can get very tricky. For instance, I feel intense frustration with my job. I'd love to quit it, but I've got nothing else to go to. My true desire uh, desires are unrealistic at present, so I'm stuck with that job, and I don't know for how long. Hence, this very intense frustration in myself as I'm the only one who can do something about it, but I'm stuck. I don't know what else to do. So when I get onto those really upsetting, depressive moods, feeling highly frustrated, does it mean I'm letting my inner child down? I'd love your response to that. There are many more instances, of course, but I'm sure you get what I'm asking. All right, so this isn't exactly on the romantic topic, um, but I'll try and answer it. Uh, basically, there are times in our life where we don't like our situation, but we cannot act on it immediately. So like, like, like this example, you have a job that you hate, 
And ideally, you want to leave that job for something you like better, but you don't, you're not able to do that yet, and then you're getting frustrated with yourself. So listening to your inner child that really hates the job, uh, you know, if you, it's kind of like what you would do if, with a regular child. Like if, if the child, you know, if you're going to something, to do something the child hates doing, but you have to do it anyway, you know, you just reassure the child that, well, um, yeah, I understand you hate this, and I'm sorry about that, and we do have to do it, so you're going to have to, you know, kind of put up with it for a while, but then afterwards we're going to do something really fun, right? So in the case of the job, you can say the same thing. It's like, I understand you hate it. It makes sense you hate it. It's not a good job. Unfortunately, I can't do anything about it now, but here's where that afterwards part comes in. You know, I'm going to look into doing something about it, and I'm going to take action on it as soon as I can. And... You know, and then you do start looking into what you can do, how you can get a different job. And sometimes the as soon as I can might be a year later. You know, may not may not be soon soon. Might even be two years later. Maybe you have to go back to school or something like that. But just the very fact you you are on a path towards a better job will feel better. What feels bad is when you feel stuck and you're not taking any action at all. So it's kind of that this helpless feeling. I have this crummy job. And, I'm, and there's nothing I'm doing that is going to ultimately lead me to a better job either. So, you know, if you find yourself in that position, then that's what you need to look at that. Say, okay, now why aren't I doing something that's going to take me in the right direction? Even if it may take quite a while to get there, at least I'm heading there. Um, and sometimes it's fear that's blocking us. Sometimes it's limiting beliefs that's blocking us. You, know, you can look into that. You can get help from somebody with that. But the thing that helps our inner child is knowing that you're you're taking care of her or him by, you know, moving in the right direction, even if it's going to take a while to get there. Um, okay, star eight. We're down to ten minutes. Star eight. If you want to talk live, type more questions down the chat. Um, okay. So next email question. Someone told me I can't use the law of attraction for a partner, only for shoes, etc., or something material, and the law of attraction won't work. My problem is not the people I'm attracted, but how I act that is off-putting, and I need to figure it out. I need to figure it out. What it is that I'm doing wrong and stop doing it. In other words, play more games or play hard to get more, stuff like that. But I do play hard to get sometimes. So can you use the law of attraction. Okay, so first of all, there's actually two questions in here, one that you directly asked and one that you didn't realize you were asking. Um, so first of all, the law of attraction does work with people. I have a whole module on that in the program. Um, in fact, we on the very first call, we do some work on that, and then towards the end of the program, we do that then. The reason why I wait towards the end to really get into the law of attraction, I mean, there's a little bit of a law of attraction sort of sprinkled throughout the whole thing. But I get into the law of attraction stuff most strongly at the end because we want to clear out everything else first to make the law of attraction work well. And that's the other parts of the question. Because you're talking about playing games, playing hard to get. Um, you know what, And you're correctly saying what it is I'm doing wrong and stop doing it. So, and that's the whole point of the first two modules. So... The first module is that the thing we're doing wrong is being attracted to the wrong people. As long as that is strongly present, um, those are the people we're going to get together with. And if you use the law of attraction 
at that point, we're just going to attract the wrong people faster, right? So that doesn't do anything good for us. If um, you've worked through that part and you're no longer attracted to the wrong people, we get to the next phase, which is our fears and limiting beliefs interfering with being with the right person. And what that will do is cause us to behave in ways that will sabotage ourselves, either subtly or not so subtly. So I am very much an advocate of not playing games, not playing hard to get, not playing games, period, but just being our relaxed, confident, authentic selves. And you might say, well, I'm not relaxed and confident at this point. Well, yes, that's phase two. As long as we have our fears and limiting beliefs still too strong, it, it makes it hard for us to be relaxed and confident. So you want to keep working on our fears and limiting beliefs until we can feel relaxed and confident. So at that point, we won't be doing the wrong things anymore. We won't be off-putting anymore, right? We won't play games. We won't try and get the person to like us, which always backfires, right? We won't act insecure. We won't act needy. Any of those negative things that tend to be off-putting, we won't do any of those anymore because we have released our fears and negative beliefs towards being with our ideal partner. So then the law of attraction can be used very powerfully, because now there's nothing emotionally in the way anymore. Now the only thing left to do is say, all right, let's, let's accelerate the process of getting together with somebody fantastic. And that's where the law of attraction comes in for your partner, where you'll use things like your partner vision to sort of broadcast, broadcast to the universe what you're wanting. I actually created this really cool video on YouTube on my Love Talk Q&A program, uh, or Love Talk Q&A show, I call it, that called the right way to use the law of attraction to find your soulmate. So I would encourage everybody to watch that because it kind of describes everything I was just talking about and it also goes into more detail of actually how to use the law of attraction and including some stuff that um, I'm not sure if I mentioned in the program. This is a, a recent video I did just a couple months ago. Um, so I think there's some new stuff in there versus what's in the program. So anyway, that's the answer to that question. So we got six minutes left. People live. Star eight if you want to talk, or type. Or you can type in more chat messages. Um, all right. So here's another email question. Um, I was doing the course, and about module three, I stopped. I didn't like tapping to others' work. And sometimes during the session with them, you would stop and work on something else related to them. Felt very incomplete, or I felt very incomplete and confused by that process. Any thoughts you can shed on this? Okay, so uh, you said you didn't like tapping to other people's work. So let me start with that one. It was, well, actually, let me start to address the second part first, because that's going to be quicker. You said, sometimes during the session with them, I would stop and work on something else related to them. And it felt very incomplete and confused by that. Um, I don't think I did that very often. <laughs> I think that was actually pretty infrequent. So if that was one of your difficulties with what I was doing, I think you'll find that um, I don't keep doing that. So <laughs> you know, it's, that part I don't think is going to be an issue for you. In terms of tapping along to other people's work, so one of the things I talk about in the program, and I, and I wrote up an article on it, which I think I have in Module 2, is called um, Borrowing Benefits. It just explains how the borrowing benefits process works. 
So I understand that you might think like, well, what's the point of tapping along to somebody else's process that's got nothing to do with me? Well, the way the borrowing benefits process works, and you can reread this uh, you know, in that webpage that I have on, in the program, is that you first bring up a memory related to one of your own, your own issues. So you know, let's say uh, you, know, you had an angry father. That's been the theme today. Uh, you would bring up a memory of your father you know, raging at you or something. You'd rate a scale 0 to 10. And then you temporarily let go of it, and then you tap along with the other person. And even though the, their memory or their issue has got nothing to do with your issue, when you check back into your memory, you'll find that your memory got processed to, uh, to a fair amount, to a fairly large degree, in this sort of weird, magical way. It just does that. Nobody really knows why that works, but it does. So there is that. The other thing is that you'll notice as you go through the program, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of tapping sessions. There's, in fact, over 30 total. So uh, people, there's a certain commonality to people's issues. And, you know, it's, it's rare, I, would, I, I don't know if this has happened ever, that you won't find people who have similar issues. So if you look through the modules, you will find that there are people who have similar issues to yours. And it is easier to tap with people who have the same issue, for sure. So, you know, as you go through the program, you know, you can read the descriptions of, you know, what people are, are working on, and you want to use those in particular, and you will find that if you have an emotional reaction to, you know, somebody has the same issue and you're reacting to it emotionally, then you know it's right on target, and you want to, in fact, replay that one over and over again until you've gotten as much from that particular recording as you can. So any, re any recording you have a reaction to, you want to... You know, do that one again. Now, the one last thing I'll say, though, is I sort of describe two categories. One category where the, they have the same issue you do, which is the easy one. Another category where their issue is completely unrelated to you, which is a little harder. But then there's a third category, and that's where somebody has an issue that you don't think you share in common with them, but as you tap along with them, all of a sudden you get this big surge of emotion yourself, and you discover that you, you actually do have some connection to their issue that you weren't even aware of. That happens for everybody. So that's why I encourage everybody to tap at least once on every single recording just to find out if that is true for them. You may find, as you keep going through it, that even you know recordings for people working on something that you don't think has anything to do with you, as you tap along with them, all of a sudden you discover that, in fact, you do have a reaction to it. So it is touching something within, your, within you. So I would encourage you to, st to stay with the program. Um, if you want, I can give you access to the whole program at once. So you can read the descriptions of other tapping sessions to, to see that, sure enough, there are people who have you know, similar issues as yours. So I would encourage you to stick with it. All right, so that's that one. And we got one minute left. So there's one last question that I want to answer. I've already I've actually already answered this privately with the person in the session, but it's such a great question. I want to ask, answer it for everybody. It goes like this. It's often said when you stop looking, you, uh, then meet, you do meet someone then. So should I just stop looking instead of making this effort? Okay, so the answer I told this person that I would like to share with you is that it's actually not about looking or not looking. What it's about is your anxiety level around meeting somebody. 
So I'm going to share a personal story around this because it will totally illustrate the point I'm making. When I was um, much younger, I'm not married now, so it's not an issue, but when I was younger, I had this recurring pattern. I'd be in a relationship, the relationship would end, and as soon as it was over, I very intensely wanted to be in, in another relationship, which is all that rebounding, right? So it wasn't even so much that I met somebody great. It's just like I just really wanted to have to get another girlfriend to basically to help me get out of the pain of the end of that relationship. Well, because of that, I'd be in this kind of desperate place emotionally, right? Like I sort of desperately wanted a girlfriend. Well, that desperate energy, as you can imagine, was a big turnoff. So I never met anybody from that des- desperate place. So, you know, some months would go by with me feeling desperate, you know, longing to, to be in a new relationship, and it wasn't happening uh, until eventually uh, I would get really depressed about it, about not meeting anybody for a long time. So then I would walk around in a state of being depressed. I still wanted to meet somebody, but I was de- really depressed about it. Well, depressed, being depressed is not all that attractive either. It's not much better than being desperate. So during that period, I wouldn't meet anybody either. And then the depression would lead to apathy, where I just felt this sort of, you know, like, okay, I give up. But it is still kind of a negative state. There's this sort of apathetic, you know, state of what's the, what's the point, what's the use, I give up. So still not very attractive. Eventually, that state would end, and I would finally just get to this good place where I just stopped thinking about it. I wasn't thinking about meeting somebody. I also wasn't feeling bad anymore. I started feeling good again. I go just sort of back to living my life, and bam, that's when I meet my next girlfriend. Now, you might think, well, he stopped looking. Well, it's true I stopped looking, but that wasn't the key factor. The key factor was that I wasn't anxious about it anymore. I wasn't desperate. I wasn't depressed. I wasn't apathetic. I was a happy, relaxed person. And that's the key to this. So it's not about looking or not looking. So if you stop looking, like in this question, it's like, well, okay, I, I hear that if you stop looking, you'll meet somebody, but you're still feeling anxious or worried or depressed or angry or anything negative, that's not going to help either. You want to be in this sort of in a happy place. Like, I feel happy in, my, in myself. I feel happy in my life. And if somebody comes along, I'm, I happily interact with people around me, right? And from this happy, relaxed, place, feeling good about yourself, feeling good about your life, you could be looking or not looking. Either way, that will work. So it's, the, it's, it's about the state you're in emotionally rather than whether or not you're looking. So if you're in a good state emotionally, you can be looking or not looking, and, you'll meet, and, you'll, and it'll go well when you meet somebody. If you are in a negative state, whether you're looking or not looking, it's still not going to go very well. And, and that's what's really going on here. So it's not really about you know, not looking or looking or not looking. All right. So with that, we we will end our August uh, live Q&A call. So the next one will be sometime in September, and I'll send out some announcements like I did this time. So uh, in the future, it would be great to get more live questions. I'm very thankful for the one person who did ask their questions live. Uh, because the nice thing about live questions that you cannot do with these email questions is that there's an opportunity to interact around it. Like I can ask some clarifying questions. I can give an answer and you can kind of have a follow-up to that. Maybe you didn't fully understand my answer. In other words, we can go back and forth a bit. And that's usually much richer than just emailing me your questions. I do the best I can with people's emails, but it's uh, 
tends to go even better live. So anyway, uh, keep clearing your issues, break free of the negative attractions, clear your fears and limiting beliefs, and you'll be able to find, well, first of all, you're, you're, once you do that, all of your relationships will get much healthier, much better, including, ultimately, meeting your soulmate. I wish you guys all the love in the world. Talk to you in a month. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.